Well, um, let's transition now. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 8. Judges chapter 8, and uh, that's where we're going to be today. And if you weren't here last week, let me just do a, a quick recap. So Pastor Keith did um, Gideon part one and he started in chapter six and he talked about the fleece. You, know, you kind of maybe have heard that story before where Gideon was called by God to go out against the Midian army who had come to oppress the nation of Israel. And he was, uh, he was kind of in hiding. He was a little bit fearful, insecure, wasn't sure if that's what he was supposed to do. So he put out the fleece and he said, if it's wet and the ground is dry, then I'll go. And then God did that. And he's like, and then if the ground is dry and the fleece is wet, then I'll go. So he kind of did this whole thing. But there was some steps that Gideon had to take. He had to clean up his house. He had to tear down some idols. He had to get Israel in right order. And he went through those steps and then he obeyed God and he went out and God did an amazing thing. But we ended last week by saying that the cross is our confidence. It's not in a fleece. It's not in a sign. God has already done what is needed. He's done all the work and he has given us the final sign, if you will, and that is the cross. And Jesus is our confidence this morning. But as we go into Gideon part two, I wanted to um, just point you to Judges chapter eight. Oh, thank you, Matt. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Give him a hand, everybody. All right. That's what, he, that's what he was about. He was intentionally late just to get all that attention. So I'm joking. But um, in Judges chapter eight, we're going to start our reading there. And here's what happened, just in case you didn't know. So God, does, through the work, through the obedience of Gideon, they, they, they defeat Midian. In fact, um, it's an incredible victory. And Gideon actually took only 300 men against over 100,000 initially. And then as they're driving them out of the land, there were, he, he sent messengers into the surrounding areas and people came together and they won this great victory. And uh, as that's happening, they actually kill uh, the kings and the princes of Midian and they, they have this incredible victory. And then in verse eight, verse 22, it says this, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Now, if you didn't understand, Israel did not have a king at this time. They were um, governed by judges, but they were largely what we would describe as a theocracy. They were directly or, uh, governed by God. And so their success came from when they were walking with God and then their demise and their struggle and their pain came when they walked away from God and they began to try to worship other gods or worship idols or what have you. And so these judges were put in place to kind of direct the people back to God and Gideon was fulfilling that duty but he wasn't a king. And so at the end of this battle, they turn to him and they say, we want you to be a king. And I find this interesting because just a few chapters ago in chapter six, when he tore down the, the idol and the, the worship place of Baal and they had come to his house and they said, bring Gideon out that we may kill him. So he went from wanting, they wanted him executed to wanting him to be king just in a few chapters. He went from what, 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 what might we say, zero to hero, like overnight. But Gideon said to them in verse 23, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And so he, it looks at least in this verse that he's doing the right thing. But literally in the next verse, things begin to go sideways. And Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. 
Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they, and they answered him, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak and every man threw in the earrings of his spoil and the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah and all Israel whored after it there and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel and they raised their heads no more and the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. So in this, in this passage, we kind of get good news, bad news, right? God did something good, but then there's this section where it seems Gideon went off the rails. And what I wanna talk to you today about is the, the idea that God uses flawed people. God uses flawed people. And that is really, the, if you're taking notes today, that's really the first point that I wanted to draw out of this story because it's, it's important for us to note that in the beginning, God, or excuse me, Gideon obeyed God every step of the way. Trusting him, especially, this is one of the things that stood out to me. Gideon trusted God to the point where he willingly allowed his fighting force to be reduced to just 300 men. Now we're told in the scriptures that the number, uh, the number of men that fought for Midian was north of 100,000 guys. And so conventional wisdom, even in modern day warfare, when we have all kinds of like crazy weapons that can do mass destruction, we still understand even in this day and age that numbers matter when it comes to battle, when it comes to war. And so to go up against an army of 100,000 with just 300, that doesn't seem like a good idea at all. And I think most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, probably would not have obeyed God completely in that moment. But Gideon did. He trusted God for success. He had the fleece. He had the calling and he obeyed God and he allowed his fighting force to be reduced to a number so small that it didn't make sense. So he exercised faith, he exercised obedience. And I wanna remind us that even, in, even though he had insecurities and he, and he had flaws and failures, God used Gideon. And I think it's important for me to remind you, and it's a good reminder for even myself, is that sometimes we allow our flaws to become our labels. We allow our past to become what defines us. We allow the things in our life, the failures, the, the mistakes, even the sins, the willful rebellion that we have exercised against God, we allow that to become a disqualifier to us so that we refuse or don't think that we are able to step into the plans that God has laid before us. And I wanna remind you that God uses flawed people. Nobody here is perfect. Nobody here can claim some sort of moral high ground. We have all blown it. We have all messed up to the point where if we were honest and if it was totally fair, we would be disqualified. But God has said, I want to use you. And I wanna just draw your attention to the, the idea that Bible people aren't other people. They're not in some special category. You know, you know Moses committed murder 
but yet God used him. David committed adultery and murder and God still used him. The, the apostle Peter denied Christ three times, yet he was the rock of the modern day church. He was one of the founders of the church. The apostle Paul literally started out with the persecution of the church itself, but God still used him. And so when there are flaws, when there are failures, when there are sins, there is a lie from the enemy that says you are not able to be used. But God uses flawed people. But I also wanna make sure that we understand clearly that there is a warning here. There is something serious in this idea is that, and that's number two, that flawed people can squander the blessing and favor of God. Flawed people can squander God's favor and blessing. The snare to Gideon and his family is linked to something called an ephod in the scriptures. And obviously, and like when I first read that, even being raised in the church my whole life, I was like, what, what exactly is an ephod? Like, is that an idol? What is this thing? And so I did some research. And if you didn't know, an ephod is basically an ornate garment. It's a, a garment that distinguishes what God had set up was for the high priest to wear the ephod. And in the ceremonial law, the people would go to the priest for, um, they would rely on the priest for spiritual guidance and direction. They would even follow the instructions of the priest when it came to uh, sacrifice where they would kill an animal as a symbol of Christ's future death. And that was what they had to do to receive forgiveness of sins. This is all back in the Old Testament, right? And the ephod was a specific garment that God had instructed Israel to create and the, the priest would wear the ephod, and it was ornate, it was, it, it was expensive, it was designed to um, represent God's glory and all of that. And along with the rest of the tabernacle, there was, there was detail and care given to the, the, uh, the temple, the, the tabernacle, and the process of worship. However, in, as Israel began to stray the ephod began to take on a symbol of something else. In fact, um, some of my research revealed that ephods were sometimes used as tools of divination. Um, it, the best way I can describe it, there were stones or maybe small objects kept within the ephod. And so it, they would pull these objects out and maybe the best way I can describe it is they would cast these objects almost as um, a set of dice or, and, and that would kind of determine or help them decide what decision they should make. So if you're faced with some sort of quandary, you would go to the high priest or the, and he would pull out the um, the, these objects and throw them on the ground or, or use them in some way to give you some kind of answer. And the ephod, again, began to be mixed in with idol worship and divination from other religions. And so uh, logically, um, I can kind of see where Israel could get off the rails. Like they were oppressed, they were going through hard times, people were coming to try to destroy them. And they looked around and they saw all these other religions and listened to, and, and I didn't say this in the first service, but let's not discount the enemy is active. There is a spiritual realm that is very, very real. And it's very possible that the people of Israel saw the activity, the spiritual activity of the enemy and began to put their trust in that as well. And it seems logical that they would, they begin to look at this 
object, this ephod, as sort of just, hey, we, we need all the help we can get. Let's use the idols. Let's use the other religions. Let's also use the ephod. And they just begin to mix in their spiritual heritage with false religion. And here's the problem is, and, and we don't know all of Gideon's motivations. It doesn't really go on to say that, you know, all the details of his story. It just says that it became a snare to him and that Israel gave themselves to it. They didn't have a king. And so instead of relying on God like they should have, they began to put their faith and their trust in something that wasn't God. Now, I don't know if any of you did the math, but um, the other thing, and we can't, this is, this is just Matt's opinion. This is not clear in scripture, but I did some math. 1,700 shekels of gold weighs about 42 and a half pounds. Now, I, re I relied completely on the internet for this, okay? So like, if you wanna go fact check me, feel free to do that. But what I found was, um, uh, this probably depends on how you, um, you know, how much you think a shekel weighs, and there's probably some variance there, but there's a rough idea that it weighed about 42 and a half pounds. Gold, the price of gold today, unless something happened over the weekend that I don't know about, <laughs> and he's investors in here that know a bit more about the price of gold in here more than me. Um, but if in today's market, 1,700 shekels of gold, 42 pounds, that's $1.3 million or a little north of that. So it's possible that Gideon wanted $1.3 million, okay? It's possible that he wanted to selfishly retain the spiritual authority that the ephod represented. Notice that he didn't put the, the ephod in the tabernacle or in Jerusalem or any of the, the, the traditional sites. He put it in his hometown, which was not right. And then it, it, here, here's what I think we can safely assume. He put his trust in something that simply wasn't God. He began to put his faith and trust in something that simply wasn't God. And I also wanna pause here because the, the words that I have used up to this point, I've talked about flawed people can be used by God. And then we can, we, we've said flawed people can squander God's favor and blessing. And I wanna make a distinction here so that I, I make sure that I'm really clear about what I'm talking about. There are flaws that are not sins. Anybody watching March Madness with me? Anybody? Okay, nobody. Okay, Chip, thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> I don't, have, I don't have a team. It's fun to watch some of these basketball games, but at the end of these games, I'm seeing grown men cry because they lost. And they didn't mean to lose. They did everything in, they, in their power to win. They have practiced, they have trained, they have been coached, they planned, they watched tape, and they went out there and they lost. And they did not willfully lose. Every shot they took, they tried to make. And some of them, they missed. There is a distinction between flaws of humanity where we do our absolute best and we follow God to the best of our knowledge and our ability, but because of our humanity, we're not perfect, we fall short. So that's one kind of flaw where we do our best and it's just, it's not perfect. And that's okay, that's not, 
God definitely uses us in spite of our imperfection, but then there's a flaw where it's willful rebellion against God or sin. And God uses, he uses people that are both. But I wanna be careful that I distinguish this idea that when we rebel, when we willfully rebel against God, it results in this, we squander God's favor, we squander his blessings. We have a choice. We have a choice to follow him, to submit to his lordship, or we have a choice to do our own thing and to go our own way. And the Bible is very, very clear that the wages of sin is death. And death is not just physical death. What that word death is talking about, it is eternal spiritual separation from God. Eternal life is, you know, relationship, eternal communion with God. That's what eternal life is. Eternal death is separation from God. And sin, willful, rebellious sin, where we know it's wrong and we do it anyways. And I'm not talking about in the, sin, the sins of ignorance or in the moment. And I'm talking about unrepentant, willful, rebellious sin. It will result in death and we will squander God's favor and blessing. And it may start out as a slow fade. It may not be in that moment. Well, you know what, God, I'm gonna close my fist and I'm gonna do my own thing. It may not start out that way, but the Holy Spirit will always touch our hearts and he say, hey, we're getting a little off track here. Are you under my authority or under your own? And I always try to, make sure that I explain that God is not a dictator. He's not a manipulator. He is a commander, but he is a commander that knows the right way out. He is a loving, good father that simply wants us to have all that we can have. He wants to give us favor and wants to give us blessing, but sin is what squanders that. And I also wanna remind you that even if you had sin, if even if you rebelled against God at one point in your life, that is still not a disqualifier. The song we just sang, run to the Father, fall into grace. There's always open arms. The Father is always willing to take us back. There's nothing you can do that will disqualify you. Even in your rebellion, he will always take you back. But it's your choice. It's our choice. Are we gonna repent? Are we gonna go home or are we gonna to continue to walk our own road? And here's the reality of Gideon's story. Maybe it started out as just a small thing, but it ended up in a big thing and it became a snare to him. And he led the nation of Israel poorly. He put his trust in something that wasn't God. And here's what everyone should know about Gideon's story. Success of any kind doesn't come independent from God. The story isn't about Gideon. It's not about his leadership. It's not even really about his downfall. It's about God. It's about who he is and what he wants to do. And the reality is God uses everyday people to do extraordinary things. And when that happens, and I pray that he does that for you, and, he, and, I, and I believe that every single one of us here is sitting here because we have a role to play in the kingdom of God. 
It may not be something globally known or nationally known, but you are here to change your world. And it might be your family, it might be your neighborhood, it might be your school, it might be your, your friends, your circle of people that you hang out with. You are here to make a difference. We are all called to make a difference. I believe that 100%. And God will use you in spite of your flaws to make that difference. But when that happens, the snare is that we begin to think the story is about us. And if that happens, then we begin to get off track. And I think it's safe to assume that in some sense, Gideon began to think that the responsibility of leadership or maybe selfishly, he just wanted the fame and the power and the influence, maybe going from zero to hero went to his head, but the reality is he did not finish well. A lot of us have seen the Jesus Revolution movie. How many of you have seen that movie? I'm just curious. It's a good movie. Um, I went and saw it a couple weekends ago and Pastor Keith actually mentioned um, this movie last week. So I figured, hey, if the lead pastor can do it, I could probably do it. And so we're both talking about Gideon. We're both gonna talk about Jesus Revolution movie. So, but I saw that movie and it's a great movie. And if you didn't see it, I'll just catch you up really, really quick. The story is about um, the Jesus Revolution movement that took place in the set, uh, 70s. And it started with Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel. And there was just what some scholars and experts say is, is the, mo the greatest spiritual awakening in our country's history. And it was uh, an incredible story. And through that, a man named Lonnie Frisbee was a key player in that, in that movement. And he's, in, he's you know, in, documented in the film. And he's the one that led um, current pastor um, and evangelist, Greg Laurie, to the Lord. And Greg Laurie is now a world, literally worldwide evangelist. In fact, he brought the Harvest event to Boise last spring. And we took a group over there on a couple different nights. I took about 40 or 50 teenagers over on a bus and I watched with my own eyes, hundreds of people stream to the floor to receive Jesus. Greg preached an incredible message that night and God is using him. There's no doubt about it. He's humble and he is authentic and, and he spoke the truth. And Lonnie Frisbee played a role in leading Greg Laurie to the Lord. But if you're like me, you see a movie based on true events and you go home and you Google these people and you like go, who is Greg Laurie and who is you know, Lonnie Frisbee? I'd never heard of Lonnie Frisbee. And I'd heard a couple of things that people had made a few remarks and they were not really rude remarks. They were just kind of, ah, you know, and I, I just sensed that it was something about him that I didn't know. And so I Googled it. And if you Google his story, you'll find a tragic story. There, uh, shortly after the, the Jesus Revolution time, he, in fact, is documented in the film. He leaves the movement. Him and his wife moved to Florida, ends up losing his marriage, um, really lost his credibility when it came to ministry and influence, um, started a few other things, but then um, it began to come out that there was sexual sin in his life and then even rumors of homosexuality and then he actually um, died of AIDS in the early 90s. And so when you read that on the surface, you'll say, you'll, you'll say well, this is somebody who squandered God's favor and blessing. And I think that's probably true. And I'm not here to bash anybody or to tear anybody down. And I wanna, before I move on, I wanna make sure I say this, that is, uh, by all accounts, Lonnie Frisbee came back to the Lord. 
and God used him in a powerful way. And maybe he did, and he definitely messed up. He definitely wandered. He definitely went, quote unquote, prodigal, as we would say. But according to great glory, he came back. But I, in an interview, and, and the movie has gotten a lot of publicity, and Greg Laurie d- did an interview on some, I don't know what podcast it was, but I found this clip on, on YouTube, and he, and he was asked about the person of Lonnie Frisbee, and they basically were saying, hey, you put out this great movie, here's Lonnie in this movie, he's kind of got a sketchy, you know, story, you know, why, you know, is that good for the movie? What, why, what was your thought in putting him in? They're like, well, we're not going to edit history. Lonnie played a role. God used him. We're not gonna just obscure or hide the truth, but we are gonna be honest about what happened. And Greg Laurie said that him and a pastor friend, I forget the guy's name, Mike McIntosh, somebody like that, they went and visited Lonnie while he was in hospice care near the end of his life. And they prayed with him. And he said, I really believe Lonnie came back to the Lord before he died. However, when they left that time of prayer, when they left that moment, Their hearts were filled with sadness because they saw that God had given Lonnie an opportunity, but because he walked his own road, he squandered it. And they, they, they thought to themselves, man, what could have been? What could have God done through his life had he remained faithful? He said, and I wanna read you these quotes from Greg. He said this, just because someone is used by God doesn't mean they don't have the ability to walk away from it. Simon Peter denied Christ three times, spending every day walking and talking with Jesus for three years. And Greg went on to recount a visit and a friend, uh, you know, he, and I told that story and he, then they left thinking to themselves, man, what could have been? And I'm not here to debate, well, if, you know, if they never came back, were they saved? Or if they did come back, were they saved all along? Only God knows, okay? I'm not saying lost salvation, got it back. I don't know. But the point is, when we, when we follow sin, we cannot follow Jesus at the same time. We cannot pursue those two things simultaneously. And when we stray, when we rebel, we squander God's favor and blessing. We squander the opportunities that he's given us. And there's never, hear me clearly, there's never a point that we reach where we cannot return to God's favor and blessing. He will use you, but we have to follow him. We've got to repent. We've got to come home. And this doesn't have to be our story. And that's the third point. Flawed people can honor God. Yes, we have the ability to squander his favor and blessing, but we can honor God and we can fulfill his purpose for our lives. Dr. Avery was here a few weeks ago um, for our spiritual emphasis week. And he said something so simple and yet so profound. He said, the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to behave ourselves. (laughs) I like that. Even a child can understand that. You know, when I talk to my kids, I'm like, Landon, Are you behaving yourself? He would know whether he's behaving himself or not. Like a six-year-old understands what it means to behave yourself. Now, I understand there's some nuance and there's some issues in our culture that create some questions and there's complex decisions that need to be made. And we definitely need to rely on the wisdom of God to navigate some of those things. But 
I think all of us can understand what it means to behave ourselves. We can be good, not because we're really good, but because God is good. And because he gives us the ability to walk, as the scriptures say, by the spirit. We don't, not, we don't walk according to our own selfish or flesh, fleshly desires. We walk according to the spirit. And that means getting up every single day and saying, God, I am under your gentle yet firm authority. I'm under your loving authority. Today is not about me. My story, the story of my life is not about me. It's not about my position. It's not about my title. It's not about my earning or my income. It's nothing to do with those things. My story, my life is about you. And if we live in that moment, if we live in that space, even flawed people, even people with a rebellious, sinful past can say this, my life has honored God and fulfilled the purpose he has for me. He can and will use us. And this is how big our God is. Every single one of us has blown it. It may not be in the tabloids. It may not be in the Google searches. It may not be in the YouTube clips for all to see, but, the, but we've all blown it. And we know where we've blown it. And the enemy is so quick to say, remember when. And so we have to embrace kind of what Pastor Keith talked about last week, the cross. We have to embrace the work of God. The, uh, the prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him our iniquity, our sin. Through a simple act of faith, we can come and humble ourselves and say, God, here are my flaws. Here's my life. Here's my sin. Here's my failures. Here's my selfishness. Here's all the things. I need you. Take it. And in that moment, I really believe that God does more than forgive us and send us on our way. He makes us new. The scriptures talk about the old has gone, the new has come. And there's a word that we actually use here in our discipleship ministry that I wanna use to articulate what I believe this new identity captures. The, the discipleship ministry, especially on the men's side, they use this word, Dave, how do I say it? Pistos? Pistos, okay? I had to check with my Greek scholar here. Pistos, and it's found in 2 Timothy, and it's simply translated into English as the faithful. And it talks about in that passage, and trust these things to faithful men, right? But if you read the definition um, of that word, it's more than just faithful. And it, it does carry with it that idea of dependability, somebody who can be trusted, somebody you can delegate to, and they will get the job done. They will show up even when it's early and raining and dark and they will make the sacrifices necessary. It carries with it that definition for sure. But there is a very specific definition that is revealed in the, the commentary, the dictionary that I was reading and it talks about these are people, these are men who are fully convinced that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. 
They're fully convinced that he is the anointed one, the Messiah. They're fully convinced that salvation is found in him alone. And so faithful, pistos, doesn't just mean showing up and warming a seat every single Sunday. Yes, that's part of it, but you have to be fully convinced. If you wanna be called pistos, you have to be fully convinced that Jesus is risen from the dead and you have placed your life under his authority. That's what it means to be called faithful in that sense. And the main idea here today is that we can, ha- we can choose whether we're gonna be flawed we're gonna, we can either identify with our sins and our failures and our humanity and our mistakes and all the things that are wrong with us and we can choose to identify as that or we can embrace the identity that cannot be earned. We can embrace the identity that cannot be achieved in any sense through our own effort or through our own work. It can't be paid for by our own you know, resources or anything. It's freely given And we just need to accept the the identity that Jesus puts on us. And he says, are you going to be faithful? Are you going to be pistos? And I think this is a game changer because there's so many of us that we've experienced favor and blessing from God, but we still identify as flawed. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to embrace the new identity that Christ gives to us. And he calls us faithful. Now that word does not mean perfect. (laughs) Anybody catch that? It doesn't mean that you will never mess up again. It doesn't mean that you will never sin again. You may, you don't have to, you might. If we live by the spirit, we can behave ourselves. But to be honest, because of our humanity, there's probably gonna be moments of emotion or lack of thought or lack of information where we, we mess up. But the faithful who are living by the spirit, they are sensitive to that voice of the Holy Spirit that says, we're a little off track. We're trusting in something that is, that is not me. You're beginning to place your trust and it may not be an ephod, a golden tunic of some kind that we use for divination. I don't think any of us are going home and casting dice on the floor, like asking, like asking the dice to tell us what to do. But we're... we're I know for myself, it's easy for me to slip into a place where I begin to to rely on myself and rely on my own information, my own education, my own skills. The Holy Spirit will check us on that. So every morning we get up and we say, God, I need you. God, I wanna spend time with you. I wanna worship you. I wanna receive from you the truth that I need every day for my life. Spend time in the word, spend time in prayer, spend time in personal worship, not just on Sunday. It's gotta be on your own time. There's nothing in scripture that says, if you miss a day, you're out, okay? If you miss a day, don't miss two. If you miss two days, don't miss. If you miss a week, don't miss two weeks or the next day or whatever it is, you get the point. We're gonna live our lives under his authority. And we're not gonna identify as flawed, we're gonna identify as faithful. Second Peter reminds us, if you practice these things, you will not fall. So what should everyone do in response to Gideon's story? Remember the story, our story, even our own story, it's not about us. Remember that any success that we've had in life is because of God and God alone. And we simply acknowledge humbly and give him the credit and the praise. I know our pastor is out today, but when he prays, 
Um, how many of you notice that he ends his prayer pretty much the same way every single time? Has anybody noticed that? Okay. And he'll be praying and, it'll, and uh, whatever the need might be, and he'll say, for God, for what you are going to do. Have you noticed that? And uh, there's part of me that's like, come on, Keith, come up with something better, like different, you know, like give us some variety or something. But as I stand here and think about it, that's a great way to end every prayer. Because we need to acknowledge that here's where we are today, but God, my life is under your authority. And so for what you are going to do, not what I'm going to do, not what I'm gonna accomplish, for what you're going to do, we're going to give you the praise in advance. If we live our lives that way, we will be called faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have today. We have all messed up, either just in our humanity and our mistakes, but, and, but we've all rebelled. We've all walked our own path. And Lord, I'm grateful that you're a good good father with wide open arms who always welcomes us back. No matter what we've done or where we've gone, you always welcome us back. However, Lord, I pray that we would take this warning to heart that if we do begin to rely on ourselves or we begin to put our faith in other things other than you, it's a recipe for destruction. Lord, I pray that we would not squander the opportunity before us. I believe that collectively as a church and even as individuals, you have placed us in this time and in this season to make an incredible difference for you. It may not be known in the headlines, but it will be known in heaven. And I believe that if we are faithful to you, you will accomplish things through us and in our lives. But God, I pray that we would never buy into the lie, the snare, that the story is about us. It's always about you. And so we pray these things in your name and we're going to say this and mean it. We're gonna say, for what you are going to do, we give you the praise. Lord, I pray that we would be called faithful and that would ultimately give you glory. And Lord, I pray that it would also result in our personal, spiritual, eternal blessing. We wanna make it to heaven. We pray these things in your name, amen. Thank you so much for your kind attention. You may stand and I'm gonna dismiss you. There are a couple of things in the corridor. There's softball signups. There's also um, a place to, to send some appreciation to people in our community, our first responders. We love it if you helped us encourage them. Go today, have a great rest of the morning. We'll see you back here next week.